Well, the illustration goes that a man loved to collect rocks. He just loved rocks, and everywhere he went, he seemed to find another treasure, another fantastic, amazing, beautiful, gorgeous rock. And of his favorite rocks, he put them, remember this illustration, he put them in a bucket, a five-gallon bucket, and he had a bunch at home, rocks everywhere, but his favorite he carried in his five-gallon bucket. He took it with him as he went to bed at night and carefully put it by his bed. He took it with him to work. He carried it in the car. Everywhere this man went, you saw him with his bucket of rocks. Well, one day, a friend said, hey, come on over. I have something for you. And so he went over to that man's house, and he came out with a handful of pure gold nuggets. And he said, wow, is that gold? This is incredible. I mean, all the rocks he had, you know, he just picked up off the the trail or whatever. They didn't really have any value. But these were gold nuggets, and you're going to give those? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead, please. I want you to have them. So he put it in the top of his bucket. He ran all the way home, and he went into the door of his house, and he said, Honey, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. And he told her this story, and as he showed the bucket to her, there was only two or three nuggets left out of the handful. Well, he was dismayed. Well, what had happened? Well, he was in such a hurry, and his bucket was so full of the other rocks that a lot of the gold, most of the gold, fell out. So they got over that over time. He went back to try and find them, but of course they were gone. And so they went on with life until things started to get a little bit tight. And his wife recounted this story. You know, she said that that friend of yours was so eager to give you that pure gold. Maybe if you go back and just simply ask him, he might give you another handful. And so as time went by, he went back to his friend, and sure enough, he was just as eager as the first time, brought him a handful of rocks, and he put them in his bucket, and he ran all the way home. Same thing. Lost most of the gold out of his bucket. Well, in this illustration, this went on. Every six months or so, he'd go back and get more gold nuggets, and he'd lose most of them. And and eventually, he came back to his friend after doing this multiple occasions. His friend said, can I level with you? Sure. You know, if you want... You could dump out your bucket of other rocks, and I'd be more than happy to fill your whole bucket with gold. Oh, oh, I could never do that. You don't understand. These are my favorite rocks. I mean, they have memories of the past, and and this one was with me through thick and thin, and this one I gathered here and gathered there, and they're just so precious to me. I don't know if I could sleep at night if I didn't have my rocks. But over time, he thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, And eventually he decided, it's time. And so he went out in some corner of the woods someplace. And it was hard. But he dumped out all of his rocks. And he went back to the man. He says, I have an empty bucket. He says, perfect. And he came with handful after handful of pure gold and filled his bucket. And he went home and he had plenty for the family. Now you understand this is an illustration. But from that time on, this guy kept, all he could talk about were the incredible bucket of gold that he had been given and that he received, and he never looked back. He never missed his other rocks. I think you probably have an idea of where I'm going. But are we ever like that in our lives? As Christians who come to church, who pay our tithe, do we ever hang on to things? Are there pet sins? pet forms of entertainment, pet forms of music, you know, pet rocks that we hang on to and cling to. 
James 4, 7, we claim it often. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Have you ever felt like there was a rock, something in your life that you needed to get rid of, but it was just too precious to you and you had the hardest time giving it up and you tried over and over and maybe even claim this verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Has anyone tried that before? Has it worked? I know I've tried it many times and it doesn't seem to work. You see, I thought victory looked like something like listing your bad habits on the chalkboard and picking the worst sin, and that one would, of course, be at the top, and striving to overcome that one sin in my life, and then as soon as I got rid of that one, I'd go to the next one and the next one and so on, but it never seemed to work so well for me, because I would work on that one particular sin while I was picking up three or four others, and when I mastered in one area, I would have just another right behind it. It never seemed to truly work. I've learned very quickly, and maybe you've learned this too, that my promises to God were like ropes of sand. Have you ever felt that way? Like ropes of sand. But you know, if you take that very simple verse that we quote often, resist the devil and he will flee from you, we're only quoting half the verse. Don't believe me? Look it up. James 4, 7, there's another part of this verse that we don't often quote. It says, therefore, submit to God period. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you really study the Bible through, it's not about resisting in my own strength and in my own power, but it's about submitting to God first. And if I don't submit to God first, I'm going to be hopelessly trying to resist the devil. Does that make sense? I mean, look at all these verses. You may want to jot some of these down for later. I don't know. Many of these you already know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. I have to start by submitting. How about Ephesians 6, 10, and 11? It says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So if I'm going to stand against the devil, first I have to put on the armor of Christ. I have to submit to Christ. I need his power, his strength. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, first I walk in the spirit. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the submission piece. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then as Ivan read, thank you, Ivan, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. That's key. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These are beautiful verses. Yet over and over, I'm not going to get anywhere if I don't first submit. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 17. This one's incredible. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 7, page 17. Nothing. How much did I say? Are you listening? How much? Nothing is apparently more helpless. Does anybody feel helpless? 
yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. Isn't that beautiful? God will send every angel in heaven to the aid of such a one rather than allow him to be overcome, end quote. Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 17, go find it. Here's another one from Scripture, Luke 18, 27. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's another one of my favorites. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Would you like to be new? It's a new year. We're about to start a new week. If you want to be new, then you must be found in Christ. We must be born again. We must submit to God. We must be fully surrendered to Christ. We must trust Him with all our hearts, and we must walk in the Spirit, realizing that we can do all things only through Christ. Resisting the devil is important, but first I must submit unto God. Resisting will never work unless we first submit. And this is a daily matter. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. And the devil will flee from you through the power of Jesus Christ. Friends, when you give a full surrender, I believe you'll start really enjoying prayer. You'll start really enjoying time in God's Word. You'll start seeing God work miracles in your life. Not as you give one thing or two things or work down a list, but as you give all. And say, here it is. I give it all to you. Last Sabbath, as you know, we were snowed out. So this is the first Sabbath we've had together to meet in 2017. Why not make this Sabbath a Sabbath of new beginnings? Why not choose today, instead of resisting first, to focus on submitting first? I just flew for some meetings this past week. And I just love sitting in the airport and watching people. People are so unusual and different and strange and their personalities and all the rest. And it's just to sit there and watch is incredible. And for those of you that fly a lot, you know that oftentimes they will double book flights. And sometimes that poses a bit of a problem. I remember Elizabeth and I years ago, we were going to do evangelism in Ireland, the very secular part of the world. And that happened to us. Uh, There were two people that had the same seats, and so we got uh, pushed to the side. I think we had to go the following day or something. But that happens. 
And so on this particular occasion, that was taking place. And there was a young woman at the counter, and she was jiggling a baby that was riding on her lap. And you could tell from the back and forth that they both had tickets. They both were supposed to be on that flight, but there wasn't room for both. And so I don't know how they decided, but she had to find another flight at another time, and she left the counter, and she was crying, and she was upset. Is she going to find another flight? Is she going to miss her connection? What's going to become of this situation? But then as the doors were closing, and you know if the doors close, that's it. Close of probation. But as the doors were closing, she came onto the plane. And she started coming down the front aisle, but this time she wasn't crying. She was smiling. She was happy. And they escorted her to a first-class seat. Now, I don't know if you've ever flown first-class I've never paid to fly first class, but one time I was traveling back from Belize and they said, hey, if you come a a day later, this plane again is overbooked. And my friend and I looked at each other and said, yeah, we're single bachelors. Why can't we wait another day? Why not? Well, it turns out they didn't need us to, but we got bumped up first class. Before we even took off, we had a, a hot towel to clean our hands. They brought out some nuts, but the bowl was warm, and the nuts were warm. I didn't know you're supposed to have warm nuts, but I, apparently in a high society, you eat warm nuts. Who wants a cold nut? <laughs> so we, we ate our, our warm nuts, and they brought us a menu, and we got to choose off the menu, and it wasn't beef or chicken, let me tell you. And they had nice vegetarian options, and so I said, yeah, I'll take this salad first, and then it came in courses, and so we ate the salad, and we had the the roll of bread, and then we had the pasta, and then we had choices of desserts. I remember leaving that flight full as if I had just left the Olive Garden. I rolled off the plane. (laughs) How does it always come back to me? So this woman goes into first class, and she sits down smiling. While she was on that long flight, eating first class food, enjoying that first-class recliner. Do you think she ever looked back to coach and thought, boy, I wonder what I'm missing back there? Did she ever do that? Of course not. Friends, why do we cling to a coach-class ticket and cry to the Lord and say, Lord, don't take this away from me? That all along, Jesus is trying to give us a first-class Christian experience. Longing to give you and me that first-class ticket, that seat, that privilege. And the choice is ours. It's yours. It's mine. And so today, as we begin a new year, 2017, what will 2017 hold? We don't know. But I challenge you, don't cling to the coach ticket. Don't cling to those nagging habitual sins. Don't cling to those entertainment choices that are not edifying, that are not bringing you closer to Christ. Don't cling to that music or those movies. Don't cling to time wasters, but submit everything over to Him that you may have a first-class Christian experience that He longs to give you. Lord, bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, both now and forevermore, and give you peace. In his name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.